Once upon a time, in a mythical place called Cape Kennedy, an astronaut named Tony Nelson went up on a space mission. The missile went up, but something went wrong, and they had to bring it down. Captain Nelson landed on an island in the South Pacific, where he found a bottle. At least it looked like a bottle, but it didn't act like a bottle. Because in it was a genie. Oh, not your average everyday genie, but a beautiful genie who could grant any wish. Welcome to Great Minds, and today we have an extraordinary treat. Coming up on the 55th anniversary of the very first episode of what is got to be one of the top two or three sitcoms ever made in American pop culture history, the legendary Barbara Eden of I Dream of Jeannie fame. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you, Matthew. Happy to be here. Wait a minute. I rescued you. I rescued. That, that means I get a free wish or something. Uh, genies do that, don't they? Well, of course they do. Yeah, uh, Genie, uh, I tell you what, I, I wish. I, I wish there was a big, beautiful P2V right up in the sky over my head, right now. Dorom ketoam sarvari. I have to get a genie who doesn't speak English. Let's dial it back a little bit and go back. You were a member of Actors' Equity at an incredibly young age, only 16. And I know that you sang in your church choir. Did you know early on that you wanted to be a performer? I did. Well, not a performer. I wanted to sing. Uh, my grandfather uh, loved to sing. We had music in the in the family constantly. It was mostly uh, classical music. Um, and my mother really encouraged me uh, in that direction. I sang in the church choir, you know, things like that. Um, the first show I did was <laughs> Spring Crazy. Uh, that that was the equity show. That's where I got my equity card. Uh, we were <laughs> we we opened at the Curran Theater, I believe, in San Francisco, and uh, it closed in two days. <laughs> wasn't too good. Wasn't too good, but it got me started, and um, it was my first uh, time I'd ever been on stage. So it was it was. Great. And just a few years later, you end up on the Johnny Carson show starting in 1955. Yes, yes. That was, uh, well, that was Johnny's very first show. Boo Boo, <laughs> my fiance, Baba. Baba? Boo Boo. Boo Boo's my best friend. We went to college together. Boo Boo and I played on the same football team. I played quarterback, and Boo Boo played. What did you play, Boo Boo? Tackle. Boo-Boo's my best friend, you see. We went to college. Oh, for a celebration. That really started me, I think. To Boo-Boo, Bobo's best friend. To Baba. To Baba, to Baba Boo-Boo, and Bobo's best friend. And you seem to have a real knack for comedy. I, I guess so. I, my family... They're all nuts, you know. <laughs> They're great senses of humor. Uh, my mother, my aunt, my uncle, my father uh, were always doing something silly and wonderful. And uh, 
my grandmother in the middle of it going, whoop, 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 no, 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 you know. <laughs> it was, uh, I was lucky that I, I grew up in a, a family that laughed a lot. And lots of roles on television and then ultimately get signed to 20th Century Fox Studios. That must have been an incredible moment for you. It, re- it really was. It, it was uh, most unusual because I think, as you know, I had been told to go home. This was my very first interview in L.A. And uh casting director at Warner Brothers said, uh, oh, no, no, you're, you're a very nice girl and a very pretty little girl, uh, but uh, you're not Hollywood material. So uh, I think you should go home, marry the guy at home. Mm. <laughs> I, after crying a lot, uh, I decided no. He didn't ask me where I'd studied. He didn't ask me what I'd done. Um, all he did was look at me and show me a picture of his daughter, you know, <laughs> say, this is what they want. Um, so I decided to stay. And uh, two years later, I was I was uh, studying with the coach at Warner Brothers, and uh, I was walking on to the office, and I heard, hey, hey, you. And I ignored it because I wasn't supposed to be there. You know, only people under contract were going to this class. Uh, and uh, he said, hey, hey, you in the yellow pants. And I thought, oh. I turned around, and guess who it was? It was the man who had interviewed me two years previously. And I thought, oh, I'm sunk. <laughs> I'm really sunk now. And he said, what's your name? And I told him, and I kept looking at him. He didn't remember me. He, he didn't at all. He said, are you up there uh, going to Blair Cutting's uh, uh, class? And I said, yes. He said, we're going to test you. <sighs> that that was a big lesson for me, <laughs> that I was right to stick it out, and you don't listen to what everyone says, and don't be impressed by people because they have a wonderful job. Uh, it's incredible advice. And during that era, both spanning your early television career and then your film career leading up to I Dream of Jeannie, you worked with some incredible people. You worked alongside Elvis Presley. You screen tested with Andy Williams. You worked with Rock Hudson. When you look back on that part of your incredible career, Barbara, are there any particular fond memories that come to mind with any of those legends? Well, Paul Newman, um, I had a scene with Paul Newman that was one of my first things at Fox, and he was such a lovely man. May I have this dance? Oh, why, certainly. Will you pardon me just a moment? Sure. Thank you. Are you looking for me? I am if your name is Lex Porter. Well, my name is Clemmy Shree, but I'll be glad to change it if you'll stop looking further. I'll never forget. Well, just how far am I allowed to look? <laughs> You're fresh. I like you. Sam? No, Alfred. Are you going to make a pass at me, Alfred? You believe in long courtships, don't you? Oh, who's got time? I'm crowding 19. What, years or guys? Nasty. 
Come on, let's dance and crowd each other. Look, honey, I got a wooden leg. I better go fill it first. Oh, you mean it's all over between us? Well, these things don't last forever. I just had one scene, and of course I was <laughs> very wet behind the ears, but uh, like all students of uh, theater, I threw myself into it, and uh, he appreciated that. And uh, years later, I went to one of the, uh, oh, what do you call them? I don't go often, where the, where the cars race, and they asked me to come down into the pit, and I did, and there was Paul. Of course, many years later, and uh, they took photos of us, and finally I, I looked at him and I said, I don't think you remember me, but uh, we did a scene together at Fox. And he said, oh yeah, I remember you, Barbara. He really did, and I was shocked, just shocked. What a great story. So we've got a huge anniversary coming up with I Dream of Jeannie, September 18th, 55 years. And I went back, Barbara, and watched that very first episode. And your first words were not English. Do you no. remember that? And, and what language? Oh, yeah. What what language was that? It was Farsi. Uh, <laughs> they had a professor from UCLA come over and coach me. Um, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. Because it didn't make sense to me, you see. Not like Spanish or French or, you know, one of the languages that you can relate to. So it was, it was tough. <laughs> Going back to the, that very first, you know, season, and I guess it lasted, it ran about five seasons and just under 140 episodes. What was it like on the set in those early days? Hmm. It was like, uh, any other set. It was, uh, how can I explain it? Um, it was, we worked hard. I know that that first scene, the one that you referenced with me speaking Farsi, was out on the beach. And of course, like most uh, scenes where a girl wears a bathing suit or a, a skimpy outfit, it was freezing cold. It was winter. <laughs> It was very memorable. And did you, how soon, both referring to Sydney and to the cast, how soon into it did you realize that you had a hit on your hands? Or did it take a while? Oh, it took a long while. Uh, actually, I didn't realize until, I guess, about 10 years ago, uh, how much people liked Sydney's work. It, it was... Um, because, Matthew, I, you know, after Jeannie, I did another series. And then I did many, many films. When you look back, what was it about I Dream of Jeannie? And what is it to this very day that, you know, your accomplishments, I, I've never seen. You've worked with everybody. You've done everything. 21 Bob Hope specials. I think it was a happy show. It gave people hope. Um, I, I've been told uh, by a lot of my fans that it was something that got them through some very difficult times when they were a child uh, because they always felt that they could go into the bottle and uh, be safe. 
but it was it was happy and it, it was an upper looking at a lot of your work it is very much about you know entertaining people making people happy as you just said the show did for so many years and and still does going back to that time working in variety television with Bob Hope, the Carol Burnett show, Jonathan Winters, so many more. Those must have been some wonderful times. They really were. Um, it, it was. Um, I loved it. I just loved it. It was hard work, you know, uh, physically, <laughs> mentally, in, the, in every way. But my goodness, it was it was fun. It was fun working that hard. And with Bob Hope, did you tour the world with him for USO shows, or were they done in the I States? Did. I did one at the end. I, didn't, I couldn't do it when my son was a baby. I, I said, no, Christmas is time for the family, you know, and I wasn't home enough for him anyway. So um, I didn't do that until uh, later years, uh, and my son went with me when he was grown. So that's, uh, in fact, I'm looking at a photo right now of... Uh, Bob and myself and uh, getting out of an airplane. Barbara Eden. Jack, this is Barbara Eden. It sure is. <laughs> Congratulations, Jack. Thank you, Bob. Um, <clears throat> wished I'd take home, Bob. <laughs> Just the trophy. Barbara goes right back in the bottle right after the show. You're the answer to every girl's prayer. You you have such grace, such power. You have so much, uh, so much. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Prize money. <laughs> you've worked in television. You've worked in film. You've worked in theater, all at the highest levels imaginable. Is there one that's your favorite, or you love them all? I really like them all. What what really counts to an actor is the material they're given. Um, if you have good, good writing, it's a joy. I love doing love letters. Mm. It's uh, such a beautiful arc. Fantastic. And could we talk a little bit, Barbara, about your uh, recurring role as uh, Leanne De La Vega, also known as Leanne Nelson, in that last season of Dallas? Leanne De, uh, De La Vega really got him good. <laughs> I mean, she she destroyed that man. Um, I had such fun with that part. That was that was good. Uh, and Larry was, was wonderful <laughs> with it. The first thing they did was put me in a pink suit and had me walk out of a uh, an elevator. That was our first scene together. And Larry said, I don't believe this. I got the money. Show me where to sign. What are you talking about? It's time to finalize our deal. My half of the company, remember? Oh, I'm sorry, JR. But I was wrong. I can't do this to Vanessa. I can't ruin your marriage. Well, there's nothing to ruin. The wedding is off. I'm all yours. I'd like to tell you a little story, if I may. Huh. Sure. It's about an innocent young girl who went away to school and fell in love with a handsome prince. They had what she thought was a beautiful romance. But when she got pregnant, the prince turned into a frog. 
and he threw her out of his life like five-day-old trash. The moral of the story is that Leanne Nelson should never have kissed a toad like J.R. Ewing. Dallas and J.R. Ewing played, of course, by Larry Hagman. That was the biggest show on television at that time. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And when you would have reunions years later, uh, I have to think that you must have looked at each other with such fond memories. Well, Larry didn't want to do the reunions. His, uh, he, he just, at that time, he wanted to be Dallas, J.R. Ewing. And uh, I didn't blame him. I mean, this was a long time after Jeannie when we were doing the reunions. I missed him, but I, I didn't blame him. Most folks, I think, at this age would be kicking up their heels. You're still out there performing as always. I love, I, I love to do my work. I really do. I, I've always been very grateful to be able to do it. Um, I'm so lucky to do something that I enjoy. So many people are stuck in jobs that they don't like. And uh, I love my work. I just love to do it. As long as they want me, I'll be there. Oh, uh, well, we, we want you. So you had some incredible co-stars on the show. We talked about Larry Hagman, but also Bill Daly and, and Hayden Rourke. What are your reflections on uh, Dr. Bellows and Major Healy? <laughs> well, Hayden, Hayden was our rock. What a, what a beautiful man uh, and a very dear friend of mine. Something peculiar is going on with one of your men at the base. What has Major Nelson done now? I didn't mention his name. How do you know it was Major Nelson? Do you see these reports? They're all on Major Nelson. Oh? Well, uh, what are they about? Well, I wouldn't know where to begin. Here's a report of a woman who swears she saw him flying over Cocoa Beach. Well, he's a pilot, isn't he? What's so unusual about that? He had no plane. <laughs> the plot lines, they all hold up. I watched a, a whole bunch of the old episodes the last few days. Is there a particular episode or a moment or perhaps something that didn't make it to air where everybody broke character and, and laughed or a, a particular memory of anything that happened on set? Oh, well, I'm, I'm sure there were some moments that were hysterically funny. I think the one that... So, that stays in my mind is the uh, the show uh, where I brought my pet back uh, because I was bored at home alone, and uh, my master said, yes, I could have my pet. My pet was a 600-pound lion, male lion. Now, <laughs> I had worked twice, once in film and uh, once doing my special, with lions, and uh, the trainer had been very good with us, especially on the film, telling us that a male lion is basically lazy. If he's well-fed, he's not going to get up and chase you. You know, he doesn't care. He says, <clears throat> but come over. He does like any animal. Uh, doesn't like strangers, so go over and meet him. And I did. I went over and let him smell my, this, not on our set. This was on the film. And, uh, and I 
scratched his ears, you know, and they said the only thing, the other thing you have to worry about is if he rolls over, he's liable to break your leg. So that those are the things you are careful of. The other thing he said was, if you ever see him out without me, do not move. Just stand still because he doesn't want you. But if you move, it's like a cat with a ball of yarn. He wants to catch you and play with you. And you're too small for this big lion. Now, this was a film with red buttons. And uh, we were uh, naturally outdoors. And he'd had all this been told, too, don't move, you know. So we were eating lunch. Red and I were sitting in the grass <laughs> eating lunch. And over his shoulder, I looked, and <laughs> there was the lion with his tail twitching, 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 and no trainer. So I said, Red, Red, be still now. The, the lion is out. He said, what do you mean out? I said, he's, he's, he's right over there. He's, he's out. And Red jumped up, and I don't know if you remember how little he was. And he had this red, red hair and plaid pants on, and he said, I said, you're not supposed to move. You're not supposed to move. He said, the hell with that. The hell with that. Get behind me. Get behind me. <laughs> you know. And, oh, God, by, by that time, then the trainer came out and got rid of it. Now, I have diverted away from my dream of genie. Uh, but because of that experience, I knew when they brought the lion on the set of I Dream of Genie that I should go over and make, make friends. And I... Uh, went to Larry, and I said, Larry, we should go over and make friends with the lion. He said, are you crazy? You know, I'm not going to make friends with any blankety-blank lion. <laughs> and I said, well, all right. I went over, and I, I met our lion, and I scratched his ears and let him smell my hand. And then I rehearsed with him. It was a sofa, and I was sitting in one corner of it, and Larry was going to come in on the other side corner of it. And then we were going to have the lion appear in between us. So in order to get the lion used to being up on the sofa, just with his big paws, you know, on the back of the sofa, and the rest of his body was behind the sofa, uh, I sat there and they put a little bowl of raw meat by my lap. And uh, I'd blink and they'd bring the lion in. He'd eat the meat. He'd look around and he was really happy. Um... Then they brought Larry in, and uh, I blinked. They brought the lion in. He ate his meat. He turned around, did a double take at Larry, and roared, roar, like that. Larry was out of the, of the set. He was gone. The lion came over the back of the sofa and got in my lap. Well, actually, only his head fit in my lap. But he stayed there and purred. Every single man in that set left. They broke the camera. They knocked it over. <laughs> it was it was uh, chaos, just chaos. But the lion and I were very happy sitting there. He and he and he licked on my arm and oh, just just you know like a, a cat. Oh, he purred. What what an incredible story. You know, Jeannie in many ways was a groundbreaking character. And today there's such a conversation in the world around gender equality and around female empowerment. How, how do you think 
history views her and what are the positives that we can draw upon from your character as Jeannie then that might help us make some sense of all this craziness today? Well, I don't know if anything can make sense of this craziness today, but uh, <clears throat> but I think that uh, Jeannie did was a very good example of female empowerment. Um, of course, she had the tools to do it with, but uh, but it uh, she did it. Now I'm saying this because it's Sidney Sheldon's character. Uh, she did it with uh, humor and love and kindness. And uh, I think that's something a lot of us could learn. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for doing this. Stay healthy. You too. Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, visit AdvertisingWeek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. And original music was by Ian Levy.